0: Are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: So the Democrats had a debate last night. It was pretty boring, and I was right about what happened. Uh, good night for Klobuchar and uh, Biden held his own. But basically, the Democrats promised free stuff, more free stuff, open borders, take your guns. And climate change is going to kill us all. We'll talk about that and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show.
0: This This is The Buck Sexton Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters. With actionable intelligence. One small
1: standing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American again.
0: The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NMIPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now
1: I said, listen, I don't have to make a very long speech. You really have to elect me. Whether you like me or not, it makes no difference. Because our country will go to hell. If any of these people get in, it'll go to hell. So I'm going to leave now. Goodbye, everybody. And I joked. And then I came back and I talked. But I said, you know, I was
2: joking, but I'm really not joking. You have no choice. Because whoever they put in, the saner they are, the worse they're doing. And whoever they put in, it looks like it's going to be a revolution to the left. They're going to take your money. They're going to take and very
1: much hurt your families. I just don't think people can allow that to happen. We have a country that's doing, I think, better than ever before. The economy is the strongest it's
3: ever been, most powerful, our military, all of the things we've discussed.
1: Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. There you had The president, I think that could be a perfect summation of last night's debate. I think that pretty much says it all. The crazier the Democrat is, the better they're doing in general. Now, there was a little a little moment last night with uh, with Senator Klobuchar. I give I always say credit where it's due. Senator uh, Klobuchar certainly didn't seem like a complete lunatic and so that was a a differentiation a point of differentiation between her and the rest of the candidates on that stage but it was more of exactly what you would expect if you watched all of it which i watched most of it last night then i went back and watched it again this morning because i'm a glutton for punishment apparently but it's all the same stuff you know oh they, they kind of switched into we're gonna unite the country and we're, we're better than trump and all this stuff and it was pretty pretty weak sauce, in my opinion. Nothing particularly worthwhile. And then it's the uh, the usual stuff. They want they want to take your guns. They want to take your money. They want to pay for all of your stuff, but they're going to take your money first. They're going to give you free everything after they take your money, and they take your guns and they take your rights, they take your freedom. Uh, but they're going to battle that big mean bully known as climate change. They're going to punch climate change right in the nose. Yep. Folks, the Democrats on that stage are almost entirely, almost to a person, unserious, a deeply unserious bunch, Um, none of whom you would look at and say, well, this person is an individual of of tremendous uh, reputation and accomplishment beyond being a politician. Wasn't it quite interesting last night? I mean, with the exception of Andrew Yang, who is really a, a novelty candidate. Let's be serious about this. Uh, who on that stage last night is a person who's done anything other than be a politician? Really? Oh, Elizabeth Warren was a a professor for for a while and then she'd be OK. And uh, Kamala Harris was a prosecutor. OK. Anybody think that their records on either of those things make them good choices to be the leader of the free world. You know, Mayor Pete, I know he served in the uh, in the Navy Navy Reserve. I always think it's interesting how you know leftists, if you're a Naval Reserve intelligence officer, the left, all of and you're and you're a, a, a Democrat, you're the equivalent to Democrats of Rambo. But someone like me that is like, oh, I was a CIA officer. I was in Iraq and Afghanistan like, yeah, whatever. Go make some more cappuccinos. Which I always want to say. I hate to break it to you guys. Mayor Pete was also drinking plenty of cappuccinos in Kabul. I'm just gonna say it. Just gonna say it. A lot of, a lot of coffee time. A lot of in the rear with the gear. So I always think that's a little bit interesting to see how that plays out. Right. The uh, the left when they when they have a, a veteran, uh, they they expect everyone to be. Oh my gosh! How could you question anything about this man? Then you get all these people on the right. Now, I'm not a veteran, of course, but you get all these people on the right that either were veterans or have war zone service, which I do have uh, to their country. And it's like, yeah, whatever. Like, what did you really do? (laughs) So just going to show you the left really has no principles whatsoever. Uh, They're just full of emotion and want power and I think are are ultimately beset with a deep intellectual insecurity because they have to hold all these contrary and hypocritical uh, hypocritical positions all the time. But on the substance of the debate itself, I mean, yeah, you basically have a lot of career politicians on the stage repeating the same stuff. Very little ideological diversity on that stage. Very little. uh, And and I mean, even within the Democratic Party, you know, there's no one that you say, oh, that person has a really different take. They see things in a way that at least it's worth having a a real uh, conversation about. You know, the place where they they had their most, uh, you know, their, their nastiest exchange was really over over health care. And everyone's like, ooh, Julian Castro went for went for Biden. Here's here's how that whole thing. Here's how that whole thing went.
3: They wouldn't have to buy in. That's a big difference because Barack Obama's vision was not to leave 10 million people uncovered. He wanted every single person in this country covered. My plan would do that. Your plan would they not. They do not have to buy in. They do not have to buy in. You just said that. You just said that two minutes ago. You just said two minutes ago that they, would, they, they would have to buy in. You said they would have to buy in. to buy in. If she uh, qualifies she'd automatically, automatically two minutes ago? be informed. <laughs> You said just two minutes ago. I mean, I can't believe that you said two minutes ago that they had to buy in, and now you're saying they don't have to buy. You're forgetting that. I said anyone with a mean, like grandmother who look, has no money, need she, a she system You're automatically, that automatically enrolled. Automatically enrolls people regardless of whether they choose to opt in or not. If you lose your job, for instance, his. His health care plan would not automatically enroll you. You would have to opt in. My health care plan would. That's a big difference. I'm fulfilling the, fulfilling the legacy of Barack Obama, and you're not. i would be surprised to him. Andrew Yang.
1: Ooh, this was the spicy exchange of the whole night that everyone was, oh, my gosh. Here's, here's what was noteworthy about this. For one, uh, Medicare for all is is a joke. It's not funny because it would ruin – Healthcare in this country and would uh, would bankrupt us. But it's just not it's not a serious proposal. Back to my these are unserious people. You can't do Medicare for all. It wouldn't work. We don't have the medical resources to do it. We don't have the funds to do it. You, you could not do it. The Medicare system, as we know it right now, would not be magnified times 10 because of all of a sudden politicians waving a wand and saying, OK, now that's going to work. We, we don't have the doctors, the hospitals, the facilities to handle that. Usage rates would skyrocket. People would all expect to be able to see doctors for whatever they want, whenever they want it. And you know what comes after that? Rationing. Waiting. But it's fun to promise free things. It's popular to promise. People believe that there can be a lot of free stuff and there's no, there's no cause and effect here. There's no supply and demand. It's just whatever they tell you you should get, that's what you should get. But on the more personal level here, Castro saying to Biden and, you know, you know, did you forget what you said two minutes ago? Uh, if he had said it once, I might I might be willing to, to buy that. It was just he was in the heat of the debate. But when he kept saying, did you forget? Wink, wink. What you said to, you know, he might as well throw in there. Hey, old man, did you lose your glasses because they're around your neck? Ho, oh. you know, it could have been like that. Hey, old man, where's your sippy cup? Did you forget what you said two minutes ago? That's what Castro. That's what Castro was doing. And you know what? If Castro wants to fight that way, that's his call. But today he's saying, "Oh, that's not what I meant. Oh, that's not what I meant. Of course not." This is the thing you get with Democrats. They're willing. They're willing to to uh, to throw the low blow. You know, they're re- they're willing to to throw some kidney punches when the ref isn't looking. And then when they get caught, they go, "I didn't do that. Oh, I wasn't throwing kidney punches. I wasn't." Oh out that's not the case that's what he that is what he was doing that was very clearly i think what was going on there uh here's but since we're talking healthcare, was their big oh should we have here, here let me tell you this folks they're gonna whoever the eventual candidate is it's going to be expanding on obamacare it's not going to be medicare for all whoever wins this this race for the democrats because medicare for all when when you're finally forced to deal with the reality and not, bernie sanders is talking about 30, $30 trillion dollars a thirty trillion dollar program. If that doesn't scare you, if you don't think that now we're talking about maybe our currency is going to be worthless one day, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Thirty trillion with a T. Here's what Elizabeth Warren says about it, though. She <laughs> my, my Elizabeth Warren, sometimes I I choke up a little bit just trying to do my Elizabeth Warren. It's very hard. I think my my uh my vocal cords reject it. But here's what she had to say about uh, healthcare.
4: I've actually never met anybody who likes their health insurance company. I've met people who like their doctors. I have met people who like their nurses. I've met people who like their pharmacists. I like, met people who like their physical therapists. What they want is access to healthcare on Medicare for all. Costs are gonna go up for wealthier individuals, and costs are going to go up for giant corporations. But for hardworking families across this country, costs are going to go down, and that's how it should work.
1: It's not true. It sounds kind of nice, right? It sounds like maybe that's fair, that's a good idea. It's just not true. There's not enough money. You're not going to be able to tax the rich enough to pay for the programs that she says that they're going to pay for. And this is why the the countries that do have a socialized entirely socialized healthcare system remember parts of our healthcare system are already socialized it's already socialist the countries that have that the middle class pay much higher taxes because there are far far more people in the middle class and therefore ultimately that's really where the money is the money in this country you know for for the tax base is is on on a you know yeah yeah the 1% pays a lot but it's really the top Twenty percent of earners, and that gets you into you know middle and upper upper middle class territory. That's that's where the money really is in the aggregate. It's about the top fifth of earners are paying a vast majority of the federal income taxes. It's not just gonna, and, and you start thinking to yourself, okay, well who, who makes into that? Who makes it into that in that rung of of income? It's not just the super rich at all. A lot of people working very hard, two income households, people who work. The state, people who are small business owners working very long hours, and you know, then they have to deal with the costs of things that keep going up and keep getting worse. And the libs never stop and think, why is that the case? Why do electronics get cheaper and better and faster all the time, but healthcare doesn't? Hmm. Why are cars more comfortable, better, more technologically, uh, you know, efficient and sound and and yet college keeps getting more and more and more expensive. Ah, well, you know, there are very big government programs that determine things like the price of health care and determine things like um, how many people can go to school, take out loans to go to school, and therefore it pushes up prices all the time. Whatever you need to borrow, you're just going to borrow from the government. You don't need any credit history. You're not, they don't look at your credit risk. It's just, okay, you want to go to school? Government's going to give you a big check to go to school. You know what that means? Schools can set whatever price they want because the government's effectively saying that, you know, they're backstopping these loans. And people are on the hook for them. They can't get out of them. and They're going to be paying it off forever. So the areas that the Democrats complain about so much are the very areas where you've already seen the I'm from the government and I'm here to help mentality. And all they do is mess things up. But they don't learn. You know what would have been interesting last night? If just maybe, just maybe there could have been a little focus on something called the economy. I don't mean in the very general, oh, but, you know, we're going to have the rich pay and the middle class will do better. No, I mean, what would Democrats do differently than Trump in office? Raise taxes and invest in things. They keep saying invest in things as if the federal government is a good venture capitalist. The federal government is a terrible venture capitalist if you look at its history is not good. And that just means spending your money without you getting a say in it. That just means spending, spending your money on your behalf. It's really actually spending your children and your grandchildren's money. They don't, the federal government doesn't have any money to invest. It just takes money from you. What would they do to make the economy better? What could be done? And when they talk about lowering prices, I, I want to have a discussion about, forget about uh, making college free how about making college two years? How about in, in, uh, improving and increasing the pipeline that people have out of high school into real on-the-job training? I mean, here, here's a thought. I could have very easily gone out of college and, oh, i got to get into a no break here. I was about to completely revolutionize the college pipeline and, but, and change education forever and basically solve all problems and yay me. But... uh producer John and producer Mark are telling me we have to go to a commercial because we actually have to pay for the show. So let's, let's do that. Let's go into a pay for the show moment. We'll come right back.
3: Every time something good about Barack Obama comes up, he says, oh, I was there, I was there, I was there. That's me too. And then every time somebody questions part of the administration that we were both part of, he says, well, that was the president. I mean, he wants to take credit for Obama's work, but not have to answer to any questions. Uh, Castro really clearly
1: had a had a strategy last night, and that was. Essentially committing elder abuse against Joe Biden, just being mean to Joe Biden. Uh, I do not think it worked for him. I think Biden more or less, just say he held his own. I mean, he was Biden. So I I don't think that you can really think there's much more to it than that. He's going to maintain where he is. It was, in fact, Klobuchar who uh, came out. Klobuchar came out and uh, people were like, wow, she's actually not completely insane. And that is a big differentiator among Democrats now tells you a lot about where the Democratic Party is that someone can just be up there and say look you know we can talk about some stuff and I'd like the country to do well and I want everyone to think I'm doing a good job and I'm like whoa who is this lady where did she come from because on the other side you've just got nothing but nothing but crazy town going on here Beto Mayor Pete I mean Mayor you know Castro was going after uh Castro was going after Biden all the time and Buttigieg just can't help it. He he's always attacking, uh, always attacking Mike Pence. And then also always attacking Trump supporters.
4: Do you think that people who support
5: President Trump and his immigration policies are racist? Anyone who supports this is supporting racism.
1: It's kind of a dodge there, right? Anybody who supports this is supporting it. So if you support racism, aren't you a racist? Just say it, Mayor Pete. Say it, you know. Come on, Mayor Pete. Tell us what you really think. Why why hold back on this one? And he also said that he thought that uh, he had some nasty words to say about uh, Mike Pence. He really doesn't like Mike Pence, which seems very strange to me. So, Mike gets to uh, tell you a little bit about the, the reasons for the... Uh, klobuchar jump oh and felicity huffman remember the whole college admission scandal we got something for you on that and some other news and your emails because we have an email address now later on the show it's going to be an amazing roll call session with emails we're going to party like it's 1999
5: i believe that what unites us up here the 10 of us is much stronger than what divides us and i think that's true of our country too now, I may not be the loudest person up here, but I think we've already got that in the White House. <laughs> Houston, we have a problem. This, we have a guy there that is literally running our country like a game show. He would rather lie than lead. I think we need something different. I am someone that tells the truth. I don't make promises that I can't keep. I have people's back, and I believe that to win, you bring people with you, and that is how you govern as well. So you're going to hear a lot of ideas up here. Some will be great, but if you see that some of them seem a little off track, I've got a better way. If you feel stuck in the middle of the extremes in our politics and you are tired of the noise and the nonsense, you've got a home with me because I don't want to be the president for half of America. I want to be the president for all of America. By far the least
1: sanctimonious, insane, annoying, worthless opening statement of any of the 10 candidates on the stage, I I have made my fair share of jokes about Klobuchar like Klobuchar the Terrible. She will throw things at you. She is terrifying. How could you? You idiot. I will hit you with my stapler. Uh, You know, like that. I don't know why she became Russian all of a sudden, but she did. But she had a good night last night. And you will recall, I'm just going to say it. Well, somebody named Buck Sexton told you that she's a likely VP candidate. Guess what happened last night? She became, she's now, I I can tell you for the, for the, the big three of Bernie, Biden, Warren, uh, Klobuchar's a, a top three. I think for all of them, I'd bet she's a top three VP candidate. I mean, I'm just making up. I can't know this one way or the other. And I'm not even sure they've thought about VP candidates, but I'm just going to say it. Uh, Klobuchar makes a lot of sense for them. She doesn't come across as a woke left wing social justice loon. And that, in and of itself, is a major point of differentiation from the rest of these Democrat uh, candidates out there. So I think that part of it was good. By the way, there's an interesting moment that happened last night. That was during the debate, but it wasn't a, a part of the debate. Uh, Republican Elizabeth uh, Hang ran an ad during the Democrat debate in which uh, Ocasio-Cortez's photo uh, catches on fire and is replaced by the atrocities of Pol Pot's regime, photos of the atrocities of Pol Pot's regime in Cambodia to show that socialism, in so many places, ruins lives, ends lives, is a destructive force, is a force for tyranny and slavery. And this is what the ad sounded like.
3: This is the face of socialism and ignorance. Does Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez know the horror of socialism? My father was minutes from death in Cambodia before a forced marriage saved his life. That's socialism. Forced obedience, starvation. Mine is a face of freedom. My skin is not white. I'm not outrageous, racist, nor socialist. I'm a Republican.
1: And she ran that ad, and wow, did they, uh, did they lose their minds on the left about this. One thing I thought was so interesting, uh, Michael McFall, who I believe is a former ambassador, uh, I think ambassador to Russia, and claims to have been a, a teaching about socialism for 30 years or something, he tweeted out that Pol Pot has nothing to do with socialism. That's one of those things that, how can anyone say something so stupid? Actually, Bernie Sanders said the dumbest thing of the whole night, but we'll get to I'm going to hold you got to hold that. Who wins the prize for the single stupidest statement of the entire Democrat debate? Bernie Sanders won. I won. What do I get prize? Do I get uh, two tickets to Venezuela? Speaking of which, you're never going to get two tickets to paradise again, guys. I know Sad. any money. Not as well known as many of the other, you know, his songs are super, I feel like people don't know Eddie Money, you know, but you put on his songs and it just takes you back to the era of hair bands and and jukeboxes in dive bars in cities across America, where you got two tickets to paradise, yeah, just like that, a little better than that, but yeah, he passed away, guys, Eddie Money is no longer, although I think, which is a better song, that or Take Me Home Tonight?
2: They're both bangers.
1: They're both bangers. Well said. Well said. Producer Mark and Producer John appreciate Eddie Money's, they celebrate his whole catalog, all of his stuff. He's, he's great. But yeah, he passed away today. I usually don't do the, you know, was, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders. I got two tickets to Venezuela. I'm going where they don't have toilet paper because I'm Bernie and I love socialism. It's just outrageous. Outrageous. That Bernie Sanders is propagating the very ideology that has led to this deprivation. That's led to shortages of milk on the shelves. And they, they actually do what I was this is going to sound. But when I was in Aruba, they told me that people were showing up from Venezuela to buy paper products because they can't get them. So even people who are wealthy enough to afford it can't even find it. So they go to Aruba and try to buy it because Aruba is very close to Venezuela. But they, uh, you know, that Mike McFaul said that Pol Pot has nothing to do with socialism. Other than being a Marxist socialist, yeah, he's got nothing to do with socialism. I just... Can the people that pretend to be educated know something in this country? That, that would be such a help. Those with the fancy credentials and that walk around, the, you, know, you know, holding themselves up as paragons of education and knowledge. So many well-educated buffoons running around. It really does. You want to talk about an institution that I'm not sure is going to survive the current generation. The advanced degrees in the humanities cast. I, I don't think that people really care about that very much anymore. Well, I have a Ph.D. in comparative literature. So what does that mean exactly? He spent way too much time reading books and not really doing much beyond that. And not necessarily learning anything from those books, deconstructing them. Anyway, I, I like this Elizabeth. But by the way, can we get Elizabeth Hang on the show? I'd never never even heard of her until last night. You guys know Elizabeth Hang? Fresno, California. Huh. She wrote, AOC response is the Democratic Party in a nutshell. They're more offended by truthful words than the acts of their political ideology that has killed millions of innocent victims. I don't care about AOC feelings. I care about stopping her lies and the lies of socialism. Because AOC wrote, Republicans are running TV ads, setting pictures of me on fire to convince people they aren't racist. Life is weird. No, that's not what they were doing. She also wrote, "No, this wasn't an ad for young conservatives of color. That was the pretense. What you watched was a love letter to the GOP's white supremacist case. Wow. So you have an, an, an Asian-American woman who doesn't like socialism and runs an ad against it, and AOC says it's racist." It's almost like it's very a very predictable response from somebody who is very dishonest in debates we got more of the democrat debate and oh so much more on this show stay with me
0: first and foremost i want to hit that point because we know donald trump's a racist but there is no red bag of courage for calling him that if racism exists the question isn't who in, who isn't a racist it's who is and isn't doing something about racism And this is not just an issue that started yesterday. It's not just an issue that we hear a president that can't contemn white supremacy. We have systemic racism that is eroding our nation from healthcare to the criminal justice system. And it's nice to go all the way back to slavery, but dear God, we have a criminal justice system that is so racially biased, we have more African Americans (laughs) under criminal supervision today than all the slaves in 1850. We have to come at this issue attacking systemic racism, having the courage to call it out and having a plan to do something about it. If I am president of the United States, we will create an office in the White House to deal with the problem of white supremacy and hate crimes. A few weeks ago,
3: uh, a shooter drove All right, 10 can, can miles. I, I
1: want to ju- jump in here. We can get to, to what Julian Castro said in a moment. I want to jump in here. And Cory Booker, he's still very much trying to find his his footing in this presidential contest where he goes from being a, a wannabe to being a real player. And he's talking about what white supremacy, which is something that I would really be curious to hear of any of these Democratic candidates try to define, because I, I used to think that white supremacy, and I, I I should say I thought this because this is what it was. White supremacy was a... A, an ideological position that white people are superior to non-white people and that uh, violence even in the defense and propagation of, of white culture was justified, i.e. neo-Nazis, you know, white nationalists, uh, etc. That's what wh- that's what white supremacy. If you're a white supremacist, you used to be somebody who had you know, swastikas tattooed on you. You were a skinhead. You were violent. You were a thug. Now they use white supremacy to discuss the criminal justice system in this country. OK, well, let's let's unpack that for a moment when he said and this is what Cory, This is just what Cory Booker went into there, that there are more African-Americans in this country under criminal supervision today than there were ever slaves in this country. One is I, I don't I don't really understand those. Are, that's not a comparison. It seems like. That's just a non, it seems like a non sequitur. I don't understand how that's really illustrating any point. But for the African-Americans who are under criminal supervision, I assume he means some kind of uh, post-release supervision parole or or, uh, you know, some of the other criminal procedures uh, that are in place for when you when you get out uh, probation parole. These are different things, similar ideas. Is he saying that, the, that all those African-Americans that are under that supervision are innocent? I mean, we, we get into this discussion about criminal justice and criminal justice reform a lot, and I would just like to know, what is the contention here? Because there are a, a disproportionate number of African-Americans who are under uh, supervision after a criminal conviction, is that on its face uh, immediately evidence of. Racism in the criminal justice system. Because, you know, you, you start to get into, OK, there are different there are crimes for which there is a disproportionality of those who commit different crimes. Here here is an example. Uh, if I were to tell you that white collar crimes were disproportionately committed by uh, white men, right? you would say, yeah, that is not surprising. So, if I then claimed that white collar crimes, that there is a bias in the white collar uh, criminal divisions of usually federal courts all across the country against white males, you would laugh at me. You would just say, no, I mean, there's just more white guys who are breaking those laws. There's a disproportionate number of white guys who are breaking those laws. And I'd say, okay. Uh, What about sexist uh, bias? Look at murder convictions. Men commit. almost all of the murders in this country is that in and of itself evidence of an anti-male bias in the justice system and really think about this for a moment because this this is the way liberals will say we have x amount of of uh, african-american males who are under supervision now if they want to get rid of post Incarceration supervision or to limit it, that's a discussion. I'm for criminal justice reform. I'm just not for, oh, our criminal justice system is full of white supremacy. huh? I, w- I would need a, a better explanation of what the heck that's supposed to mean, because it's a rather inflammatory charge. and oh, by the way, you know, in other contexts, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes with uh, we'll talk about some things that Eric Holder has uh, has said about trump attacking the doj but to say the criminal justice system is in some way uh, that there is white supremacy in it is to say that it is an unjust system and that must be considered an attack on an institution it must be so it should be justified at least if that's going to happen and i i think that uh cory booker is being a bit disingenuous here by just saying that uh, that the system, because of the number of people who are, for example, on post-conviction, under post-conviction supervision is what it is, then there's clearly a problem in the system. Uh, are, are these people who have broken the laws or not? As we know, another, another thing, another uh, addition to our discussion of criminal justice should always be that when they talk about nonviolent drug offenders, It is often the case that the nonviolent drug offenders were involved in much larger criminal conspiracies and criminal conspiracies that involve at least the threat, if not the use of force, carrying weapons during drug deals, being a part of a drug gang that threatens other drug gangs. I mean, that's much more common than you would see from the charge, uh, the well, usually from the plea bargains, because in the plea bargains, they go with the most readily provable serious crime. And that's often just a possession crime. You, know, you had a bag of, you know, you had a, a kilo of, of heroin in your bag, you're going to prison. Even if you had a kilo of heroin in your bag and you're part of a drug gang that's responsible for dozens of murders, and they also have you, you know, on a, uh, on a possible racketeering charge, they're going to get you on the 20 years on the kilo of heroin and that's it. They'll get you on the drug trafficking and high-level drug possession charge. That, that doesn't mean that people who are going away are necessarily nonviolent offenders. So I I think that's another place where we just we just need greater clarity than we have in this discussion. And here's the other thing. Democrats seem to have one plan for criminal justice reform, and it's demonize the police and let more people out of prison. I'm not sure that that's and send people to prison for a shorter period of time. I'm not sure that's going to work out so well. You go back in time when there were these very liberal theories about how to deal with crime and criminality, that criminality was more or less an extension of societal ills, that we were responsible for the criminals we create. And therefore, we should not punish them too harshly because we all bear some collective responsibility for their actions. Things got really bad in this country in the 70s and in the 80s and the 90s. Then a a sea change happened and all of a sudden law enforcement rule of law sending people to prison when they break the law that that was the approach and we've become over overall a very safe country libs i think would be at least open to undoing that and we need to keep an eye on where all this is going
6: on august 3rd in el paso texas two things became crystal clear for me and I think produced a turning point for this country. The first is just how dangerous Donald Trump is, the cost and the consequence of his presidency. A racism and violence that had long been a part of America was welcomed out into the open and directed to my hometown of El Paso, Texas, where 22 people were killed, dozens more grievously injured by a man carrying a weapon, he should never have been able to buy in the first place, inspired to kill by our president.
5: You know, because I have a long-standing record on this issue. They said, well, do you think Trump um, is responsible for what happened? And I said, well, look, I mean, obviously he didn't pull the trigger, but he's certainly been tweeting out the ammunition.
1: Blaming the president for the acts of a psychotic mass murderer. That's where Democrats are now. That's that's a, a pretty standard thing now. The Democratic Party, they, they don't even really try to hide this they they still believe that this is this is fair this is what they this is what should be done uh this is what should be said and it's appalling because if they believe this then i do need just one journalist please one journo to go and ask any democrat candidate whenever they say this that trump is responsible for a mass murder uh I need to know why is it that Bernie Sanders supporter James Hodgkinson, who attempted very close to successfully a mass assassination of conservative members of Congress on a baseball field in Alexandria, Virginia, during the Trump presidency, yelling, this is for health care. As he was firing off round after round, as he hit Steve Scalise, Steve Scalise went through terrible agony, multiple surgeries, almost bled to death on that field and then also internally later on during surgeries it's horrific if they're going to say that donald trump is responsible i need to know why bernie sanders isn't responsible because bernie sanders and all the democrats make the following claims republicans want poor people to not have health care and to die from that lack of health care because they're monsters republicans trump and all who support trump Want small children to be locked in cages and terrified at the border, separated forever from their families and don't care if children die. Leftists say that we, the Republicans, the conservatives and the Trump supporters aren't willing to make the necessary changes to stop the world from ending. From human life, from ceasing to exist because we're such gluttonous fossil fuel addicts if those things are true if those were true things wouldn't it be justified to be violent against those on the right if those were real things and yet they say it over and over again they say it all the time i'm not even getting into how they discuss the rise of fascism under trump and how trump is a fascist It is completely appalling the stuff that they say. um But there's a huge double standard here. Um, There's a double standard. I also uh, wanted to point out that, you know, who's decided to get a little bit involved in the public debate again is Eric Holder, who I I think is uh, somebody who has escaped far too much of the uh, of the ignominious reputation that he deserves for what he did during the Obama years. But remember, he was a long-standing DOJ guy. He's somebody who's also not just a, a left wing Democrat who would do whatever was necessary for Obama. Remember, Obama's wingman, self-described Obama's wingman. Um, then you also look back at his record as the as the point person on pardoning Mark Rich, which was as corrupt an act uh, as any president has has taken in my lifetime. Probably the most blatantly corrupt one. I mean, there was more illegal stuff, but the most corrupt thing, which was Mark Rich's wife was a big Democrat donor. So they decided that her husband, who didn't even face the justice system, fled the country, went to Switzerland. This financier would be entirely pardoned right before Clinton was done in office. It was it was absolutely filthy, dirty corruption. And even Democrats now have had to admit this. You know, who? never forget this. You know who the point person was on that pardon? I was in quite an alliteration. It was Eric Holder. But now he wants to tell us that Trump is, Trump is undermining our, our institutions,
0: undermining all that is good about the FBI. It is something that really, really, if I can say it, pisses me off. You know, that really, really pisses me off because I know these people. I worked with these people. I was one of those people. And to see a president of the United States go after the Justice Department, the FBI, the intelligence community in the way that he has is totally inconsistent with what a president ought to do.
1: Okay, Eric Holder, explain this to me. If we had a real press, they would ask the following questions, but they'll never ask. The, the, the people that Eric Holder will do interviews with are Democrats, they're leftists, and they will never ask questions like, well, what are we supposed to think about the fact that the former acting FBI director might be going to prison for lying under oath. What do we think about that? Is that, that that's not worthy of us uh taking a moment to to consider what kind of people run these institutions? What are we to think about the fact that James Comey was fired and if he hadn't been fired would have had to be fired for what we learned about his actions while he was at the FBI? Certainly his actions after he left the FBI should deny him a clearance. And he came very close. It was really because of a technicality that he evaded criminal prosecution for what he did. That uh, Peter Strzok had to be fired from his job, rightly fired from his job. Very, very senior FBI counterintelligence agent. Does does anyone get to look at these things and say, hold on a minute, there's a real problem here. There's something very, very wrong with this or, or that, of course, Hillary Clinton managed to break the Espionage Act and forget about just the, the letter and spirit of the Espionage Act for a second. I mean, the recklessness of putting classified information on a private server because you want to control your record because you're such a paranoid uh, lunatic because everyone knows you're deeply corrupt, which went all true about Hillary Clinton. But we're not supposed to question these institutions. Why? And I'll tell you why. They question these institutions on the left all the time when it suits them. They think that the Department of Justice under a Republican president is racist. The moment that there is a civil rights issue that they want to raise, they'll start talking. About, oh, I think, that you know, there's a little bit of racism in the FBI, a little institutional racism there. Uh, they will defend these institutions only so far as it is in their interest. I was in the CIA When it became the Libs favorite punching bag because of the uh, Iraq war and the intelligence leading up to the Iraq war, and it was constantly being it was being mocked, ridiculed, undermined. I was in the CIA. I remember that. What about all the people in the intelligence community that are risking their lives and doing all these things? I was one of them. Little old buck probably could have just, you know, gone to work for a consulting firm somewhere out of college, decided to go into the CIA, found himself flying around in Blackhawk helicopters in Iraq and Afghanistan, hoping to not get shot at. And I had to hear on TV and, and read in newspapers all the time about how the CIA was a bunch of stooges, underperforming, you know, we couldn't stop the Iraq war from happening. So, so what? my point here isn't, oh, woe is me, the CIA, whatever. I don't care. We didn't care. We thought the journalists were a bunch of bunch of wimps anyway. Point is, they defend these institutions for political reasons, not because they actually respect institutions. You see this also with the way they will invoke the Constitution when they think it favors their side in an argument. But in general, they have no problem denigrating the Constitution, saying that it is an outdated old document written by rich old white racists. That's really how they feel about the Constitution. But sometimes they'll say, but what about this amendment? Or what about that? And you have a similar dynamic at play here with the FBI. There's only so much interest right now in defending and standing up for the FBI because it has been an enemy of the Trump administration at the top level. And it's really the Obama holdovers and the deep state uh, bureaucrats. I I know this mentality. I know what these individuals are like who work for these places. They really do come to think that they're a government unto themselves. That's the American deep state. It's not that there's uh, this secret cabal plotting a coup that is going to roll tanks down Pennsylvania Avenue and all that stuff. It's that there are people who believe that elected officials are really just a temporary phase in any government. The real government is the permanent government, the fourth branch of government. That is the bureaucracy. And. And. Eric Holder, at least insofar as it's useful to him to say that now, is taking exactly that position against Donald Trump, the duly elected president and commander-in-chief.
4: Is not helping the safety and security of the United States. It is not helping the safety and security of the world. It is not helping the safety and security of Afghanistan. We need to bring our troops home. And then we need to make a big shift. We cannot ask our military to keep solving problems that cannot be solved militarily. We're not going to bomb our way to a solution. In Afghanistan, we need to treat the problem of terrorism as a worldwide problem. And that means we need to be working with all of our allies, our European allies, our Canadian allies, our Asian allies, our allies in Africa and in South America. We need to work together To root out terrorism. It means using all of our tools. It means economic investment. It means expanding our diplomatic efforts. Instead of hollowing out the State Department. And deliberately making it. So we have no eyes and ears. In many of these countries. We need a foreign policy. That is about our security. And about leading on our values.
1: What the heck is she talking about? Just complete nothingness. I mean, just this is uh, that she's talking about fighting terrorism. And she managed to say, well, we need to treat it like a worldwide problem. That's funny, because when I was in the CIA, we called it the GWAT, the global war on terrorism. We're quite aware of it to work with allies all over the world, all different allies. Guess what, Elizabeth Warren? We already do that. Now, as I wrote last night on Twitter, I do think we need to be fair that we should hear Elizabeth Warren out on Afghanistan because we know that she has something of an expertise in tribal conflict. Let that one sit out there for a second. What? I'm just saying. Uh, She's somebody who doesn't know the first thing about national security. And she's also somebody who... Uh, likes to talk in these internationalist and and deeply uh, multilateral perspectives, and yet when you really have to push on these issues, these are hard decisions. These are hard decisions. These are hard things to figure out one way or the other. You know, are are you going to use drones against terrorist enemies? Are you going to give intelligence? to allied countries to get the terrorists themselves? You're going to trust them with that information? What if all of a sudden they're not doing it? What if they don't want to do it? Or what if they let the person get away? These are all these, are all these difficult considerations. I mean, you just say things like, we're going to work with our allies and we're going to be cooperative and we're going to... These are just words without thoughts behind them. And Look, Warren is very weak on national security there's no question. Warren is weak on that. That's not an area where she seems to know much. And to say that we don't have any eyes or ears in, in these countries because of any cutbacks at the State Department. The State Department has people whose whole job it is. And, and this is from recent travel with the State Department, as well as my time in the government before that. There are people, the State Department, I'm pretty sure their job is to keep the pencils sharpened that the deputy assistant secretary might use during a day of some kind. The State Department has people for everything. It is a massive overseas jobs program for Americans. And it really, the return on investment, I think the ROI for the State Department is one of the lowest we have for, for any federal agency. I really do. And I think you get rid of Department of Education first. You don't get rid of the State Department. That's, that would be, That would be counterproductive. But it could be a lot smaller and a lot more efficient than what it is. We do not need all of these people in all of these embassies all over the world. Just nuts. First of all, the governments there really only want to interact with, and, and any embassy depends on the size of the embassy, the governments really only want to interact with a, with a small number of people. Uh, so start with that. I mean, the governments only want to deal with senior level folks. They don't really want to hang out with the you know, uh, third secretary attache for Agricultural Affairs or something. I mean, I, I don't even know what they... They have all these weird titles in the State Department. I don't remember it. When I was a CIA, we used to make a lot of State Department jokes. Just the way it is. Just the way it is. So there's a little... Look, I'll be honest. There's a little bit of a rivalry there. I get it. I mean, we definitely talk some smack about them. So they definitely talk smack about us, too. They're not as cool as they think they are. Fact check. True, we're not as cool as we think we are in the CIA. Uh, but let's get back into... Uh, what's what's going on here with Warren and talking about fighting against terrorists. I think we've seen from Democrats for many years that they take a different approach to. Islamic radicalism, for sure, and that is they like to downplay it and they view it as a an all of the above approach where we have to do everything and that will stop terrorism. But they don't understand that there is a precondition for. The primary form. Yes, that's right. The primary form of global terrorism we have faced for my entire adult life. And that is a belief in radical Islam. And we can do as much as we want in all these countries, creating you know, brand, building brand new schools, setting up jobs programs. USAID shows up all the things that that we are already and have been doing for a long time. And that does not negate the appeal of radical Islamic ideology in within these communities. Remember, despite what Libs wants you to believe, most people do not become jihadi terrorists because they're so poor, because they're so desperate. Jihadi terrorists are usually upper middle class, often educated to a graduate degree level, and they they do what they do because of what they believe, not really what has happened to them or their families. A lot of times they will internalize videos of violence against Palestinians, let's say, or violence uh, in Iraq or other war zones. But that in itself is a is a fascinating process. You know, I I could internalize. I I could read about violence done to, you know, uh, the American colonists at the hands of the British a long time ago. And I could internalize that and have some weird hatred of the British. But that would seem a little strange at this point, wouldn't it? Uh, Violence is something that you can always find an excuse for if you're desperate to, and that's what the jihadists do. Warren thinks that if we just do everything, which is kind of what you know, we'll just have jobs and money and investment. And and I come from Oklahoma. I was a school teacher, and then I became a professor, and everybody thought I was Cherokee because I told them that. Yep. That's pretty much all you need to know about Elizabeth Warren. I'm, I am a little surprised that she didn't have a better night, that she didn't have more of a breakout. Uh, clearly, everybody's all,
3: oh, Klobuchar, it's amazing. Look what Klobuchar did.
1: I'm scared, man. What if I interview her and she throws a comb at my head? You know, She's been known to get a little, throws throws a stapler at me.
3: Maybe my stapler, stapler,
1: give me swing line. That's right. It's Frisky Friday up here on the Buck Saxton Show. We'll be right back. So I got some breaking news for you. It's not really all that important, but you might find it interesting. Felicity Huffman. You recall she is the uh, actress who is in uh, Desperate Housewives, a show that both producer John and I can admit to never having watched a single episode of. Not one, producer John. My man card should get some extra stamps. None of that stuff for me, and I need to establish that now because all of a sudden, when I start talking about how much I love T Swift, I'm gonna they're gonna start chipping away at that man card. But uh, Felicity Huffman was was on the show. She's also married to William H Macy, who I think is a pretty excellent actor. I will say, I think he's pretty good. And so they're a Hollywood you know Hollywood power couple, all that stuff. And she made a mistake. She did something that was, uh, in retrospect, highly highly unwise she bribed an sat consultant to correct her child's uh, her, her daughter's sat answers and this was in a bid to get get her to have higher sat so that she could get in the school of her choice This whole school thing, I mean, this has been going on for a while, but everyone is so fixated on getting into these elite institutions. Um, I think that there will be a wider recognition going forward that in an age where information is increasingly accessible and democratized, if you have, I really mean this, if you have a very solid ninth or 10th grade education, meaning if you're really good up till ninth or 10th grade, in my opinion, uh, you can teach yourself if you put your mind to it. Anything else you need to learn in life, you could teach yourself. Up to obviously, you can't teach yourself open heart surgery, but I mean the the basics of of what you would need, and you know, learning about things, teaching yourself different subject matter. You know, you need you need a certain facility with with reading and writing, and a very baseline understanding of arithmetic and. Uh, <clears throat> math and science, arithmetic. Have you done your arithmetic, sir? Uh, But you really know everything you need to know by the ninth grade if you're paying attention. That all said, Felicity Huffman's going to prison. Kind of buried the lead here, I know. She's going to prison. You might be like, wait a a second. Why is Felicity Felicity Huffman going to prison? Oh, that's right, because she paid an SAT tutor $15,000 to try to scam the SAT, um, so they're sending her to prison for two weeks. It's not, you know, they're not uh, giving her the the Shawshank lifetime prison sentence here, but she's going away for two weeks. It's the Papadopoulos. Remember, Papadopoulos got two weeks, also for essentially a non crime. But I mean, this was this was bad. Look, I, I she should have been. I said this all along, by the way, people gave me a hard time on Twitter and elsewhere because I was saying originally they were talking about mail fraud, 20 years in federal prison, you know, honest services, mail fraud, 20 more years. And they were facing like 80 years in prison. And there was this this frenzy around, oh, look at these wealthy white Hollywood types. Isn't it great if they just get crushed by the federal justice system? And I was sitting around like, come on, guys. It's ridiculous. Gotta go to prison for this. Now, i I knew that I knew that it wasn't going to be a, a very long prison sentence, but there were some people who were really howling for uh for there to be deterrence in- deterrence level enforcement here meaning make make an example of the people caught up in what they have described uh, the operation's called varsity blues operation varsity blues I don't know how many of you have seen that movie by the way, but the guy who we mentioned Dawson's Creek the other day. Dawson from Dawson's Creek plays the quarterback. And I mean, he has like the worst twangy fake accent I've had. he's like, I just my name's Johnny Mox and I just want to play football and and I just read books and I'm kind of fancy. I like Shakespeare, but also play football and I'm in var- have you seen Varsity Blues, you know? Oh, you haven't seen it? Ali Larder's finest movie role. And if you don't know who Ali Larder is, I can tell you. She's quite lovely, and I sat next to her once at a restaurant in Houston, on Houston Street, although I did not say anything to her because I was too chicken. Plus, I knew that she'd be like, who are you? Go away. So, that was pre-Freedom Hut, though. Now she'd probably be like, who are you? Right-wing freak. Go away. <laughs> anyway, Felicity Huffman got, uh, she's, she's getting sent away for two weeks, and there are other people that are probably going to get some prison. She also got a Twenty or thirty thousand dollar fine, I think. A twenty thousand dollar fine. No, I'm sorry, thirty. Whatever, it's like a couple, of, you know, tens of thousands of a fine and some community service and stuff like that. And now she's got the whole humiliation thing going on, where everyone's just piling on and she's saying she's sorry. She's fifty six years old. Look, I mean, she's a, she's basically gonna, you know, end up doing some light cardio and some knitting for two weeks. I, you know, I, I don't think it's really gonna be. <laughs> It's really going to be like a hard time. They're not going to have her wearing uh, stripes with a, a ball and chain attached to her ankle and breaking rocks. You know, old school. That's not what they're going to be doing to her. So she'll be OK. Uh, I think it's just mostly the embarrassment of people don't have ethics. You know, people don't have ethics. But it's also a, a, a recognition that or we, we should have some recognition that this this school thing has just gotten out of control. People really believe that their child's future is inextricably linked to the U.S. News and World Report ranking that their college or university gets, and I mean Amherst, Amherst College was always number one or number two of colleges, not including universities in the country. So, but like, but like, John, who's counting, right? N.B.D. Who's counting? Exactly. A lot of you're like, "What's Amherst College?" I was like, "Well, first of all, yeah, I know. There, a lot of them are asking that. First of all, you don't pronounce the H." That's the secret. It's like say, when you say you're a CIA agent, everyone knows you're full of it because obviously it's CIA officer. When you say you went to Amherst, everybody's like, no, you didn't. You never pronounced the H, my good man. Lord Jeffrey Amherst himself would tell you, you never pronounce the H like William H. Macy. So she's going away for two weeks. I will say this. Uh, I think that the FBI spent real resources on this. It strikes me as it's kind of wow. Um, But keep in mind that Felicity Huffman is now a I think, yeah, she's a felon. She's a convicted felon spending two weeks in prison and getting a fine. Hillary Clinton violated classified protocols over 100 times when she was secretary of state over 100 times, including special access program data. There is a standard in the statute of recklessness. If that is not reckless, nothing is reckless. How many days did Hillary Clinton get in prison? Zero. How many charges were brought against Hillary Clinton? Zero. Wow. It's you, know, you start to say the justice system uh, is unfortunately. Very politically driven in this country. You know, there are the the crime crimes that we all know. You know, you can't beat people. You can't murder people. You can't rape people. You can't steal from people. And we're all like, all right, you know those are things that we can I, usually you can a, a, at least agree. I mean, not always, you know, look at the OJ case and look at you know, the Duke Lacrosse case, right? There can be politics involving those crimes, obviously. but you know usually, in those circumstances, we're all more or less on the same side of we want justice uh, for the victims and we want the accused to pu- be punished. And we all know those are bad things. You get into some of these other statutory violations and you just say to yourself, when do they press charges and when do they not? You know who gets who gets the slap on the wrist and who gets uh, made an example of, and it's it's one of the you know, it's one of the areas of our justice system that I think has people losing confidence the most rapidly. It's a it's a big thing. It's a big problem. Do I think that Felicity Huffman got uh, is getting sent to prison for two weeks because they just want to say that she got prison time because she's a celebrity and she's rich and she's white? Yes, yeah, I think that's right. I think if she were Jane Doe, random middle class housewife who managed to scrap together 15 grand to pay off some SAT tutor. And I don't, I don't think she would. Have, now, it's not a lot of prison. I'm, I'm not breaking out the world's smallest violin for her. But I do think that there were some political considerations here. I think that people wanted they'd like they like to see the famous and the powerful uh, suffer. And we should just keep that in mind, because some other famous and powerful people tend to get away with things. She's not known as being explicitly political, so she did not really have, at least as far as I know, she doesn't have the leftist cover. It's not like, you know, when there's someone coming after, uh, if someone came after Alyssa Milano, for example, they would give her the benefit of the doubt because she's a warrior for the left in the ideological battles of today. Anyway, two weeks, Desperate Housewives. It's going to be quite an episode <laughs> for those two weeks. Dun, dun, dun.
6: Uh, We'll be right back. We are the wealthiest country in the history of the world. And yet we have the highest child poverty rate of almost any country on earth.
1: Could anybody really believe something so stupid? Could could, I mean, you know, I I understand the Bernie defenders. Here's what we said. We're the wealthiest country in the world, but we have among the highest... Child poverty rates of any country on Earth. Now I understand that that his defenders are immediately going to say he meant of any developed nation. Um, And and to that I I would say, all right, even if we're going to if we're going to assume that that's true for a minute, even if we think that that's true, and I think it probably is. I'm not I'm not going to play dirty and say that Bernie didn't mean that, although. He is uh, a quasi-commie who honeymooned in the Soviet Union, so who knows what's really possible for this guy. But wouldn't you correct yourself right away? Unless it was all just rehearsed lines and you were the equivalent of a socialist actor up there. We're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to have free this and free that, everything free, free, free. The rich will pay. We're going to return. We're going to restore all of the the good things for the middle class and the rich people can... uh, Go take a long walk off a short pier. So Bernie's obviously somebody that runs on a high degree of emotion here. He's not someone who's deep in the substance. And, but, but saying that we have the highest child poverty rate, I, I would want to ask, of any developed country, uh, how are we measuring that? How are we measuring that? And when we say any developed country, what really are we, are, are we uh, deciding counts as a developed country? And why would we have such a high uh, child poverty rate when we have all these programs in place to prevent child poverty? I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying we're we're already doing things to make sure welfare programs are in place to make sure this isn't happening. So the answer is more welfare programs. It seems that's what Bernie Sanders offers up. But, you know, both Bernie and Biden, to me. Just look too old last night. They look like they just don't. They just don't have the gas in the tank for this. They don't have enough, enough uh, juice in the lemon. Is that a thing? <laughs> no, it's not. I'm trying to think of, you know, I was going to keep going with this one. But, you know, they, they really are, are lacking a vitality that you're going to need in the president. I understand Trump is kind of old. Does anyone think that Trump isn't a force of nature, though? The guy never looks tired. The guy never looks like he, he and he also loves this whole he loves the fight. He loves the struggle. He loves being the president. He loves running for president. He's being out on the campaign trail, arguing with libs. Bernie and Biden, you really get the sense that they're just hoping that this is the last chapter of their political careers and that it will be the biggest one. But they don't really they don't really have a love for it. That's that's the sense you get. Um, they're just doing it because they're supposed to do it. That, that was my that was what I was picking up from it last night. I mean, here's. Here's Biden, for example, who seemed to forget at one point what century he was in.
3: We bring social workers into homes and parents to help them deal with how to raise their children. It's not that they don't want to help. They don't want they don't know quite what to do. Play the radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night, the the, the phone. Make sure the kids hear words. A kid coming from a very poor school, a very poor background, will hear four million words, fewer spoken by the time they get there. There's so much we no, I'm going to go like the rest of them do.
1: I don't even know what he's talking about. I think. I think that he was starting to say, first of all, that, that social workers will teach people. How to how to raise their kids, I, I find that, uh, that that seems a little problematic to me. But let's let's just step back for a moment. I do remember when I was when I was at uh, Regis, which was a very excellent institution here in New York City, a Jesuit high school. And uh, I remember when I was there, the headmaster, that's what we, that's what we called the you know principal. We called him a headmaster. I don't know. I've never heard that really. I think it's like an English school thing where they take, you know. Oh, hello, headmaster. Hello. Drinking tea, eating crumpets, you know, stuff like that. Crumpets, John, not to be confused with strumpets. You, you remember. That's, <laughs> it's easy to make that mistake, let me tell you. It's happened to the best of us. But,
3: uh, you know, I, I
1: think that, uh, you know, you, when I was back at Regis, the headmaster said, and it's very, one thing he found that was very important was families that ate dinner together when possible. For those of you that are on the road that work a lot of work, I understand. But just when you have the choice, eat dinner together and don't have the TV on. These are simple things, but small habits result in big changes over time. And I do think that's a very, and I will say that my, that my family, all six of us used to gather around a pretty small table in the kitchen. It was very cozy. We had a, another table in a, a bigger area, but we usually, it, we started out really being at this little little kitchen table, and we would just all be together and all talk, you know, for dinner pretty much every night. My dad would come home pretty late from work a lot of nights, but we'd try to wait and have dinner together as a family, and that matters. People, the the social skills you pick up from family, the way that your vocabulary expands from talking to adults, and just the the sense of support and interest that you get from other, from the human beings who are most important to you, the human beings in your family. That stuff all really matters, and it matters for educational purposes, too. You know, conservatives preach a lot of individual responsibility, and we usually think of that in terms of our adherence to the law and also economic decisions, right? And you're responsible to obey the law, and, you know, if you sign contracts or you do things financially, that's on you. I would just add to that uh, that, Preaching greater individual responsibility, not just for kids in school, but for the parents. The parents who have so much influence on children and just in the the encouragement that they can give them to do the right things in the classroom, to study hard, to try hard, to respect the teacher. That stuff all has to come from parents. It really can't come from a school. And it's unfortunate, but the left is always trying to give people a reason why they're, not gonna, why they're not responsible for their bad choices. This is just the truth. The left finds countless ways to tell you that you're a victim, whoever you are, uh, that you any, anything that's gone wrong in your life is a problem. So I just think that this individual responsibility rhetoric should come into the school uh, discussion a lot more.
6: The day after I proposed doing that, I went to a gun show in Conway, Arkansas to meet with those who are selling AR-15s and AK-47s and those who are buying those weapons. And you might be surprised there was some common ground there. Folks who said, I would willingly give that up, cut it to pieces. I don't need this weapon to hunt, to defend myself. It is a weapon of war. So let's do the right thing, but let's bring everyone in America into the conversation, Republicans, Democrats, gun owners, and non-gun owners alike.
1: What the heck is Beto talking about here? Can we just can we just do this for a second? Can we just unpack here a Betoism? I do believe that he is a uh he is actually a liability for the Democratic Party overall. I, I think that Beto O'Rourke, the longer he sticks around for them, the, the likelier it is that they'll figure out the hard way that this guy is an absolutely zero substance uh liberal clown, and that there's nothing about him that deserves any any serious attention to be a a leader of of any kind it's actually a little bit depressing even knowing that he made it into the uh the congress although keep in mind there's there's a lot of idiots in congress a lot of idiots in congress um so there you have it uh what do we have here now with oh yes he was saying that he met people who were selling ar-15s at a gun show I'm not going to say he's lying entirely here. It would be a little too egregious for him to never have actually gone to a gun show. Although, I don't know. I mean, did he really go or did he just kind of walk past it? You know, was, was he really there? So Beto says he went to a gun show and he said that there were people there who were willing to cut up their AR-15s. And this reminds me of, of some of the stupidity that we've seen in the past. Where individual, there was one guy who made a a video of himself destroying his own AR 15. And as someone pointed out, because he sawed off the barrel of it first, he actually had created an illegal, yeah, because there are barrel length requirements for a rifle like that. And he'd actually created effectively an illegal modified carbine version of the AR 15, like a sawed off AR uh which was kind of funny cuz guy turned himself into you know he created thought he was being really cool and woke and he committed a a felony in the process so it's probably not not something that he wants to be doing but this is why you know that there is an irrationality to this there there's no way you can explain if you're a law abiding citizen and, and a a person who means his fellow citizens uh, fellow americans no harm you destroying a weapon you have this is, this is intellectually indistinct from me saying I have a, a chef knife and I'm going, to, I'm going to break this chef knife in half because I don't want it to fall into the wrong hands. Producer Mark, Producer
3: John, this chef knife could do a lot of damage. I don't want it to fall in the wrong hands. Somebody might use it to cut up parsnips or something.
2: You should never cut up vegetables, only bacon. Exactly. Sliced bacon... Be happy,
1: true story. Speaking, I don't know why I I was thinking chef, and then this immediately jumped into my mind. This is a digression from the Beto gun discussion, but it's Friday, so I just want to do it anyway. I don't, I don't really care. Uh, This is the most French thing ever, and it was on France 24, the news site. We'll go back to guns in a second. No, it's Friday. Kick back, relax. Don't worry, the guns will still be there. French firm found liable after employee dies. During sex on business trip. Yes, my friends, this is very true. A French court has ruled that a businessman who was uh, making the travel, he was also making the love. And unfortunately,
6: oh, he
1: had a cardiac. How do you say it? Uh, his heart went uh, kaput. And uh, it was no longer functioning. So now he is uh, having the, the family shoe. Cause they say he may have been, uh, how do you say it in passion, but it was passion in the pursuit of business, my friends. So this French court has ruled that this guy can sue for on the ju- his family can sue for a work related death because he was getting, getting his, is busy on during business, uh, trip and died. Which I know a lot of guys out there right now are kind of going, So <laughs> I want to go. I, we all always say that, but probably not.
2: See, yeah, I want to know, was the relations helping his business at all? Because that's what I would argue as a judge or as a counter lawyer. What was what is the business? What do you mean? You he know, was, was he making love to somebody oh, involved like, in the business? Like you give me a 10% exactly. discount. I give you the night of your dreams. Because if it was just a random woman <laughs> or man, whatever he's into, then hey. what... What, how does this r- involve with business? That doesn't make any sense. Yes. I, uh, yeah. It's,
1: it's are questions for the man himself, but he's no longer with us, no? Exactly. How do you prove anything is, in this case? He is in that, that great baguette in the sky.
2: Is that yeah. where French people go? Yes. Oh. Or that, uh, that
1: wonderful parfait of the clouds. So, uh, yeah, man. Um, died on the job. Died on the job, and, and the company now has to pay all benefits... Uh, because his, responsi- his 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 death, was the responsibility of the company. Because he was just doing, you know, because you know, you and me ain't nothing but mammals. So that's what happened. <laughs> you guys remember that song? That song was amazing. I missed that. Uh, I I mean uh, I must have watched that music video a million times when I was like in high school or whenever it came out. All right, so ba- I'm sorry. I know this is a total digression. i want to I'm gonna go back. You know what? I'm going to come back into, into the gun situation in a second. We got a little, I got a little off track. I just had to tell you guys that story about, you know, first of all, the French, you know, they're crazy, but they're crazy like, they're crazy like that ex-girlfriends that you can't stop seeing, even though you know she is bad for you, like a gal it is so, it is so wonderful and yet so very dangerous. Uh, French people, man, I don't know how they do what they do, but. Good times. All right, we're going to come back. We got more on Beto. He wants to take your guns away. He's anti-fun. He drops F-bombs for no reasons. He knows nothing about firearms. That is not a surprise. He's still, my, he's still in my, uh, my, least favorite, my least favorite Democrat category of all. I mean, John, if I had to tell you that there was one Democrat that you could just vote off the island right away, who would it be? Beto? You agree? Yeah, he's, he's just a punk. He's just the worst. Producer Mark, do you have one that's the most. Who's the most annoying? Is basically. Are we just
2: not counting De Blasio anymore? Or? See, you're a real New Yorker because yeah. you
1: never, you never take your eye off the ball here. Exactly. Is, did he sucks. Wait, didn't his campaign end though? No, I
2: thought he didn't he officially still- drop out yet.
1: Oh, he hasn't. Yeah, you're right. He didn't make the debate, but he yeah. hasn't dropped out. Yeah, you're right.
2: But he still thinks he's going to win somehow.
1: As a New Yorker, I feel like we should all just be like, no, no, De Blasio. He's the worst. He he's just the worst.
7: I don't mind De Blasio being in because the further he is from New York, the better it is for New York.
1: Like, I really think that, you know, there's a bunch of food trucks that are out here in Midtown. And I think if we went out, if I could just do like three minute interviews with a bunch of the food cart guys, I really mean this. I think some of those guys who are small business owners, hardworking family men, I think I would take them over to Blasio. Like if I could switch one of them, you know, I would want one of like the guys that's operating one of the more successful food carts. But I'm just saying, understand small business, hard work, diligent
2: work ethic, all that stuff. De Blasio has none of that. The guy who created the Halal Guys, the famous truck, right down the, the street here. Is he really? Yeah, you didn't, they have franchises now. They're all over Long Island I mean, now.
1: I we'd, lo- we'd be lucky to have that guy as the mayor. Exactly. Lucky. I mean, I want to I get him to campaign right now. Anything but De Blasio, who drives 40 minutes each way to get to a gym. He's in Manhattan. He drives to a gym in Brooklyn, so he can do four minutes on the elliptical. Like a lady who's taking a break in
2: between Martinis, like, this is ridiculous. Ridiculous. I think they have gyms in New York last I checked in Manhattan. last yeah, time I checked. They're
1: very expensive, too. All right, all right, so I'm going to co- come back. we're going do some we're going to do some more beto bashing because that needs to happen. It's fun to bash the because it's the worst. Stay with me.
6: Are you proposing taking away their guns, and how would this work? I am. If it's a weapon that was designed to kill people on a battlefield.
3: Well, please, please if, I, I, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm
1: sorry. All guns are designed to kill. Let's just understand it. A firearm by its very nature is designed, now there are many ways you can use it. You can use it to kill pheasant or you can use it to kill people. Right. You could. Well, depends on the firearm. But lethality is, in fact, the purpose of a firearm. Doesn't mean you have to shoot it. It just means if you have it, you have the chance or the option of lethality at. uh, Anyway, continue with Beto's idiocy.
6: If the high impact, high velocity round when it hits your body shreds everything inside of your body because it was designed to do that. Um, again, that is what a bullet does so he can do this soul i
1: mean the bullet that, that it fires it's like really hard like the bullets are not soft they're not water soluble they will like go into flesh and like that totally hurts like when the bullet goes in you're just like omg because like that's what you say and then well, i'm pretty
6: sure there's blood That you would bleed to death on a battlefield and not be able to get up and kill one of our soldiers. When we see that being used against children, and in Odessa, I met the mother of a 15-year-old girl who was shot by an Mm AR-15. And that mother watched her bleed to death over the course of an hour because so many other people were shot by that AR-15 in Odessa and Midland. There weren't enough ambulances to get to them in time. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your (laughs) AK-47.
1: I mean, this is what I talk about with the emotional blackmail. He's telling this horrible story about people getting shot. By the way, he could tell the exact same story every weekend. Every weekend, he could tell a story about somebody going through tremendous pain, bleeding out, dying, being lost to family members. And he could tell it in inner city Chicago. He could tell it in parts of New Orleans, parts of Baltimore. It's happening all the time. The process of bullet and wound and bleed out and pain and anguish and death. That is going on throughout the country. Overwhelmingly in, uh, involving handguns. And disproportionately affecting minority communities. And coming from the criminal element, not the mass shooter psychotic element. And yet Beto's whole focus is on AR-15s. If you do the math on it. Over 99.99%, I don't even know how many decimals we can go, over 99.99999% of AR-15 owners have never harmed another human being with their rifle, would never want to harm another human being with their rifle, and if anything, they make their, com- their households themselves, their communities safer, and it makes the government think a little bit sometimes, especially as we're having these discussions about how they might come for our guns. Makes the government think long and hard about, we really going to send people door-to-door? See, I know that most law enforcement, if given that order, at least the law enforcement that I know, they were told, go door-to-door. We think this person may have a, what was a legal AR-15, but we've now federally banned it because we're a bunch of lib commies. I know most law enforcement officers that I know, I can't speak for all of them, would say uh, okay, they would either accept the order and not do it, or they would just reject the order outright. And you're really going to tell texas sheriffs to go bother people that have had ar-15s for 20 years 30 years never heard a person with it and you're gonna tell them they're gonna go kick in the door and take it with force i don't think so and what beto is advocating here is actually crazy it's dangerous i mean i i mock beto because it's important to make fun of what an imbecile this guy is but his ideas are are scary and when he's talking about how You know, he looks at one shooting and and one shooting that involved a semi-automatic rifle, and he's getting into graphic detail and about the loss and about everything else that surrounds it. I just say in response to this, people get shot all the time across this country, and Democrats aren't outraged about it. Where are the Democrats calling for marches in cities where there is a uh, predominantly black-on-black violent crime epidemic? There's not really a discussion about that. And and this is not just, oh, that's one issue. Then there's this other issue of the issue that I'm talking about, criminal violence that disproportionately affects and minorities are disproportionately the victims of that violence. Uh, as well as disproportionately affecting their communities, you know, the perpetrators of that violence are obviously uh, disproportionately African-American and latino and those being shot are disproportionately african-american and latino you would think that that and the numbers overall the aggregate numbers are much higher than what you see in mass shootings but there's so much less urgency because it's really not first and foremost about stopping gun violence it is about the left winning control and truncating the Second Amendment. That's what they are first and foremost concerned with. If there was some reduction in violence, they're fine with that as an afterthought. But a reduction in violence is not the primary purpose. A reduction in violence is, is something that, if they can get it fine, what they really want is to take people's guns away. Take people there are millions and millions of AR-15s in circulation in this country in legal citizens' hands millions and we're talking about this reminds me a little bit i'm just going to say it of the whole vape hysteria there are millions and millions of people that are vaping we got six people that died and now they're saying they're going to ban it all and we should know what the health effects are we should know there should be studying of it but uh, i don't know banning it you know six out of a million you should see what the statistics are for you know a basic medical procedure you know, if you go if you go under uh, general anesthesia, there's a chance you might die. Doesn't mean you get rid of all general anesthesia procedures, right? And you have to look at the percentages. You have to look at what the risk calculations are in life. And one of the things that Democrats do is they greatly exaggerate certain risks and they downplay others based on their political choices, based on what they would like to have happening from a government perspective instead of what should happen based upon the numbers. So... Uh, oh, and Beto, of course, Beto also wants, uh, wants background checks. No surprise there.
6: I'm worried that we won't take action because we've been compromised by the politics and the polling and the worries about what the candidate's going to do if we say the right thing, the true thing, the necessary thing. Um, so I'm going to say the necessary thing, which is background checks are important. Red flag laws essential. We should stop selling weapons of war. But if we leave 10 million of them out there, they will become the instruments of terror that we've seen in El Paso, in Midland, Odessa, in Sutherland Springs. And those are just three mass shootings in our state, but all across this country. So we've got to do the right thing.
1: <sighs> Background checks are important. Red flag laws are essential. We should stop selling weapons of war. A handgun is a weapon of war, which I know from being in two war zones and carrying a handgun. Among other things. A handgun's a weapon of war. A knife is a weapon of war. A simple bolt action rifle is a weapon of war. This is just this is just blather from Beto and and he has really latched onto this issue because he thinks that uh, this is a way that he can distinguish himself, I think, from his colleagues. He, just, he doesn't care about the Second Amendment at all. He's just like, whatever we have to do in order to shut down the pro-gun people, that's where we're going to go. If I believe that they had an idea, a law that would save lives and was not a threat to people's rights on a massive scale, I'd say, absolutely, let's do it. They don't have that plan, and they definitely have lots of plans that will harm Second Amendment rights. There's no question about it.
0: Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call.
1: Man, people like Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com as our new... Our new email address. Very exciting for the show. You know what else is very exciting, everybody? We have not one but, but two very special producers here in the house today. We have Producer Mark, who you know, who is running the ship now day-to-day of the Freedom Hut. And he's the one. He's, uh, you know, like in Shawshank, how Morgan Freeman's the guy who can get stuff done. That's his tagline. That's Producer Mark. I'm the guy who crawls through a couple of hundred yards of raw sewage to get to, get to freedom. That's, my, that's what I do here.
2: I guess my job is to shovel the raw sewage out of the way. Thank
1: you. Yeah. Exactly. And then we have also producer John here with us, who some of you will recall, producer John was my very first uh, technical producer, uh, person running the board, just making sure the, the show is what it's supposed to be. John, how long ago was that now? what are we, We're looking at six, seven, seven years, I think.
7: Was it 2013
1: at least maybe 2012, right? So it's six or seven years now we're going back. So how how have you been, by the way? We haven't seen you in a little while. What's going on?
7: I'm doing all right. I I spoke to you like two weeks ago, didn't I?
1: Yeah, I mean, just roll with this, all right? We're doing a little bit of chit-chat here on the radio show, John. John cannot tell a lie. Yeah, I, we talk I do, once in a while. I
7: do the technical stuff, and you just want to talk.
1: That's correct. That is true.
7: Don't don't forget, this is roll call.
1: That is, okay, I know. That means it's other people's time to talk. See, John keeps John and Mark both keep me on the on the straight and narrow. So you guys like writing in the emails. So now this is this is a thing that we have learned in the last 24 hours. The email box exploded with the messages. So that's fun. Uh, which, and now we have it. I get these emails. Producer Mark gets these emails. Our, it goes to our team box here. So you are all. If you want to write in an email, teambuck at iheartmedia.com. It, it's very easy, and it will get right to us. So all right. If you have any, if you have any bribes, you know that you want to send me for um, doing certain segments or something, you know. If you, I'm just saying that's now you want to send me the, uh, you know, on the email box. No, not like real bribes, like FCC violation stuff. Calm down. All right. Uh, David writes, I've been following you since real news. I'm 70-something. You, Beck, and a few others keep me informed. God bless and shields high. Well, David, welcome to Roll Call, and thank you so much for writing in. Paul, thanks to producer Mark. You're getting a lot of love, by the way. Apparently, you you know you take over the ship here. And all of a sudden things happen and now everyone's like, oh, producer Mark. Yeah.
2: I love all the emails that say thank you, Producer Mark. It's, it's great. Pretty much all the emails. Yeah. It's so, wonderful. Yeah.
1: Thanks to Producer Mark for setting up the new address. With my strong distaste of Facebook, I appreciate a way to reach out. Before I give the customary Shields High, I need an update on Shields High. Where are we at with the warrior monks in the island of Malta? I know you're busy with the move to the new digs, but I'm hooked. I need more content. Great show, Shields High, at Paul in Wisconsin. Paul Malta is next, and Malta, as you know, is one of my all-time favorite battles, so I will absolutely get it done. I cannot tell you when, though. I have to get a draft of my socialism book done with Stansbury first, uh, with Stansbury Research, and then we can start doing some curated or not curated, what's the word? Um, uh, Specialty, we call it, specialty podcasts. So I'm working on it. Um,
7: Let us see here.
1: We have, hold on, uh, Steve. Hey, Buck. Greetings from the live free or die state of New Hampshire. I'm a longtime Real News OSS Team Buck member. Just had a thought that maybe for any of those multi-hour town hall propaganda platforms, maybe you should look for Team Buck volunteers to head into the breach and report on the highlights of, let's say, Hour 1 or Hour 2, etc., because no one should have to be subjected to that kind of abuse of thought and sensibility for longer than an hour, then have them report on the highlights. Hmm. That's an interesting idea. A couple of Netflix Amazon Prime series thoughts. Longmire, a modern-day sheriff Indian reservation drama, and a Canadian series called Nineteen Two, which is a cop drama. And, of course, Shields Way High. Um... Producer, uh, producer, John. What is what is your Netflix show of choice these days? We haven't asked you that in a while.
7: Um, I like Stranger Things, and believe it or not, I like Glow. <laughs> Glow
1: isn't that about the lady wrestlers? Yeah. Hey, nothing. You know, you don't need to. But that, that's that. it.
7: I don't really watch too much uh, Netflix. However, I do watch Hulu, and they have a show called Future Man, yeah. which is not for the kids, right. but it's a sci-fi. It's kind of funny. So uh, it's uh, from uh, Seth Rogen. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine the kind of humor that's in there.
1: Ah, I got you. All right, I'm going to have to check that one out. But glow, huh? Lady wrestlers. Well, some people like wrestling with ladies, so it sounds like uh, this is a thing that people might want to check out on Netflix. Uh, We have more coming in the box. We got a lot in the box here today. Uh, let's see here rocky buck i'm excited for the new show format will you be live at any time will you take calls you're the best shields high rocky we got to figure that out we are going to be in the digital era so there'll be ways i think that we could set it up but the most likely thing that i'm i i think will end up happening is we may establish a a couple of times during the week when we either go live to take calls or when we uh, we'll just specifically be taking calls live and then air it maybe the next day or something. We're gonna figure it out. Basically producer Mark is gonna tell me what's possible and uh and then we'll go from there, you know.
2: Yeah, once I figure out what's possible, I'll let you know.
1: Exactly. Yeah. He's he's the one, you know, I, I come I have all these dreams, you know, all these and he's the one who's like, You actually need electricity to do that, you know, or something. You you need to have things in place. So we all you know, all right sometimes he crushes my hopes and dreams but it's important because otherwise i would think that i could take calls and i couldn't and that's no fun for anyone that's not working when people start dialing like mad they think they can get through and they can't that's no good nobody likes that andrew shields hi dog d-a-w-g what do you think about cryptocurrency i believe the third largest crypto is being set up as the new world currency what do you think You know, Andrew, cryptocurrency, it's almost like talking about religion or the meaning of life. You know, people have such divergent theories about it. I have heard very, very intelligent people go from cryptocurrency is going to change global economics forever. And uh, the blockchain technology will have enormous impact and influence on our lives. We can just begin to to fathom right now. And I know people who are like, we already use digital currency. It's called every credit card and banking transaction you do. This is all, this is all essentially a scam and blockchain technology is interesting, but it's not going to be as world changing as other people say it is. Um, and, and most cryptocurrencies, I've I heard from pretty much everybody who follows this stuff that most cryptocurrencies will be worth nothing. Think of it the way that you think of Google or search engines. A lot of people could set up search engines. There were a bunch of them. Remember, it was like uh, Ask Jeeves, Dogpile. Do you remember Dogpile? Is that still a thing? That was a, I don't know. A little were... too young for me. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't, Producer Mark, we didn't even know how old you Both of you guys. I never know if you're older or younger than me. It's tough we to we went over this.
2: I'm much younger than you. Uh,
1: I know, but it makes me sad to have to know that, you know, because now I feel old. I mean, I That's can right. say that I'm 45 the if producer... you want, but it's not true. You're cranky like a 45. I well, am pretty cranky. Producer John, he's more—he's my contemporary. So,
7: no, I'm older than you, Buck.
1: Yeah, no, but we're close. So, you know, we got to keep these young whippersnappers over here, like producer Mark, in line. He gets all—he gets all uppity. Um, eh, well, Chris. Oh, nope. That's a—that's <laughs> a—that's a company email. I got to get better at this. That's <laughs> better to read. Like, everybody, make sure you change your passwords once a year. Uh, Scott. Thank goodness Buck Sexton has an email address. I've tried to figure out for over a year how to send anything to roll call. You guys should all send Stoats. Uh, so many of you who are original squad know Stoats. Uh, she's, she's been one of one of our OG OSS, and she would occasionally uh, poke and prod about this via Twitter, just say, hey, where's that email address? And then I, I kept feeling increasingly guilty for not following through on the promise. So I, I tasked producer Mark with it, and he actually got it done. But Scott writes, I could not find anything on the Facebook page and never heard any directions on the show. Welcome to 1994. Uh, and take the time to watch a number of the 1960s Twilight Zone episodes. They are very powerful, dra- powerful dramas in Black and White Shields High, Scott. All right, cool. I will check it out. Tom. I heard you mention the movie Dr. Strange Glove a few months back. I assume you were talking about Stanley Kubrick's classic Dr. Doctor, Doctor Strange Love. Yes, you're not the first one to point this out to me. Dr. Doctor, Doctor Strange Glove is a very different place. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's downtown. Shouldn't talk you know. about that on yeah, the radio, but... I was going <laughs> to say, you got to... Sounds like
2: Times Square in the 70s.
1: It's, uh, yeah, you got to pay extra for Dr. Strange Glove. But Dr. Strange Love is, uh, yeah, that's a thing. Anyway, Tom writes, I listen almost every day on the way home from work, and the question always crosses my mind, were you named for George C. Scott's amazing Buck Turgidson? Can you shed any light here thanks to the email address? I refuse to use Facebook, Shields High. Well, Tom, you're not the only one. A lot of people have said, I I assumed, I thought all of you were on Facebook. Turns out that there are a lot of you who don't want to use Facebook, so there is that. Um, and I would just say... Where was I on this? Oh, where does my name come from? My uh, my middle name is Buckman, which is where Buck comes from. And that is a, a family name. I believe it's from my mother's maternal grandmother. Her maiden name was Buckman. If I get that one wrong, Mom, I'm sorry. You'll tell me later after the show. But I think that's right. So it's a family name. And I believe it's German for Buchmann, which is uh, a librarian. Or perhaps an erudite fellow who just likes books. We have more roll call in a second. Stay right there.
6: Team Buck, it's time for roll call.
1: All right, we're continuing here with our uh, Friday roll call to close it out for the weekend. Remember, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton is in effect. Also, Buck, I'm sorry, Team Buck at iHeartMedia. Team Buck at com. That is how you send us all of the uh, things you need to tell us for the show. And there you go. Um, TJ writes, uh, happy Friday, Bucks. I'm a little over halfway through. Victor Davis Hansen's The Case for Trump. It's a very good book. It got me thinking a bit. Here's an idea or scenario, some of which has come true, while the rest of it is perhaps wishful thinking that came to mind. The election of Trump brought a more simple realism to conservatism that not so intellectuals could understand and believe in, while at the same time making the show, making the left show its true self because of the dislike for his brashness. Um,. All right, I think we'll be looking at a momentum shift in this country, the likes of which we've never seen. We'll be able to truly harness the truth about conservatism that he's made oh so clear and really do some intellectual damage to the Democratic Party without the Trump stigma in our way. Um, All right, TJ, thank you. I had to cut that short because that was very long, but I appreciate you sending us in. Gary writes, where can you be heard? I'm in Montana. Well, Gary, we're on 160 stations. I don't really know. I don't know where we are heard on Montana. Uh, But I can tell you, you can always download the show and you can hear it same day anytime you want uh, or listen to it whenever you want. And you can do that on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app. Just type in Buck Sexton. It'll all pop up for you there. And starting soon, you can watch a video stream of the show that will be on Pluto, the Pluto TV app. And we will be channel 248, I believe. Channel 248 on Pluto if you haven't seen the app, it's pretty cool because it, uh, it, it's like free t- it looks like free TV. I mean, it is free TV. No no subscription, by the way. You just download it. It's all totally free. So just check it out. Make the magic happen. Uh, Elton, we got a lot of first-timers writing in because they don't like to use the Facebook. Enjoy your show. Keep up the great job. With all the Lib Media, I count on your insight and information to keep my mental compass oriented. Listen to your show at 8 p.m. each weeknight in Birmingham, Alabama's WERC. Using my iHeartRadio app. Well, thank you, Elton. And big shout out to WERC Birmingham. I got to get down to Birmingham. I hear Birmingham's actually a really nice town. Never been. I, either of you guys ever been to Birmingham?
2: I huh? have not, no. Huh?
1: Huh. I got to check it out. A lot, a lot of places I got to see. Uh, Guile writes Buckman, thanks for letting us old fogies get back in touch with you. Facebook can rot in hell for all I care. Try to drag your tail up to the Pacific Northwest so all the local team members can show our support. Avoid, avoid Seattle and Portland, though. The Antifa idiots have ruined both places. Not sure about warm and fuzzy, but you keep me sane around a bunch of Union snowflakes, though. P.S. I hung a Trump flag out front of the factory after dark. I can't wait to see heads explode tomorrow. Shields high. Well, Guile, you, you take care of yourself, man. You, you make sure you don't get yourself in any trouble. The only other guy I've ever heard of or know is, is you guys remember Street Fighter? Guile was like for my favorite character in Street Fighter. He was the military guy with like the blonde, the blonde super swoop. Do you guys remember the Street Fighter? I mean, okay. Producer John does. Producer Mark is like, was that in 3D and AI? Because.
2: Was that the video game? Yeah. Yeah.
1: For the old people.
2: Of course, yeah, the yeah. one that you play at uh, arcades.
1: Yeah. yeah, at arcades, which was a yeah. thing, by the way, that existed back in the 80s and in the 90s.
2: I had a birthday party, like my fifth birthday party in an arcade.
1: Okay. Yeah. Was, it, was it sort of like going to the Museum of Natural History and seeing Pretty all the dinosaurs much, yeah. for you? Yeah, that's what I thought. See what he's doing, John? Producer Mark is aging us. He's, there's a lot of ageism right now on the show. It's all right, though. I'll be all right. But Guile is a cool name. That much is for sure. Maureen. Hey, Buck, let me be your first email. I've been waiting forever for a real email address, so yay. I'm a licensed uh, psychotherapist, so I have zero social media involvement, so thank you. This email situation is fantastic. Thank you. I've been following you since the beginning. I think you have a brilliant mind and an insight about the swamp that all people need to hear. You also give voice to what so many of us already feel, and you have an intelligence that is utterly intoxicating. I get so happy when it's 6 to 9 p.m. here in California because that's when you're on. KEIB, The Patriot, 1150 AM radio in the Newport Beach, Irvine area of Orange County. It's a lonely place for intelligent conservatives being here in California. Um, I love that, but rather, sorry, someone young and smart gets what's going on, see-through all the lunatic leftist Trump derangement syndrome absurdity. I love that. I love you and your show. I don't miss any. Uh, Thank you so much, Maureen. Well, thank you, Maureen. Maureen is like a... She's like real Team Buck out in California. That's a very nice email. Very nice note. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. If you want to send us emails, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton for your thoughts via social media. Talk to you Monday. Shields high.